0: This is the future of finance by Motive Labs.
1: Hello, and welcome again to the future of finance, the podcast where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology. Welcome back. This is Sam from Motive Partners, and I'm joined today by Kevin Hanley, Director of Innovation at RBS. Welcome, Kevin. Hi, Sam. Perhaps to begin with the traditional beginning, you could tell everyone a little bit about your your career to date and what you do at Royal Bank of Scotland.
0: So I guess I come from a consulting background, traditionally. Left university straight into uh, Accenture, where I stayed for many years. Ended up doing lots of strategy work in investment banks, actually around the place. Ended up in New York for three, four years. And at some point through that journey, decided I'd have more fun sitting on the other side of the table. So, uh, so I joined ABN AMRO Oh, probably middle of 2000s, 2000, uh, 2005, 2006. I subsequently, joined the RBS team around 2008 as what uh, now we know as the bank's head of innovation. I guess all my roles have been subtly different, but at their heart, I have a similar theme, whether that be as a consultant or sitting on the doing side of the table, as I call it. And at some level, that's about thinking about where the business of banking is going and working out what we need to do about it. And then more importantly, actually doing something about it. So I guess that's the link between the different roles that I've had in my career. That's great. Thank you. And we'll talk a little bit today about the,
1: the model in which RBS have deployed and you deployed sure. to enable really effective innovation. But it's one that we've admired a huge amount at Motive Since you began your career, not so long ago,
0: a long, long time ago. <laughs>
1: How have you seen the uh, the financial services landscape change? Obviously, there's been a ton of activity and exponential change recently, yeah. driven by certain things. But you know, from a couple of decades ago, how how's it evolved? A
0: couple of decades ago. This makes me sound really old, doesn't it? <laughs> I, I, I think it's easy to forget how how radically the business of banking has has changed. Actually, you kind of forget that things like the iPhone have only been around for for ten years or so. So. Um, if i just reflecting back i think the i think there've been fundamental changes to the production and the consumption of banking services over the last sort of 20 25 years mm-hmm. i think if you take a step back i think we see the the migration of banking services from branch to the internet to mobile and then maybe we'll talk about it as we go through this i think we're mm-hmm. also moving away from mobile now towards voice and beyond and all of that's really happened in the last I guess in the last 20 years I mean we were talking about it as a bank the other week something like 95 over 95 percent of what we do as a bank at the moment can now be done on the phone so literally what used to be done or could only be done physically in a branch over 95 percent of it now uh, our customers are able to do that they're able to execute the business of banking on a phone and, and it's something that we take for granted perhaps and when you're in the The mists of of this stuff on a day-to-day basis, I think it's easy to forget how far the business of banking or how radically the business of banking has changed over the last 20, 25 years. And I think there's more change to come. I mean, you alluded to it in the question, Sam. I think we're at the cusp of the next wave of radical change within Within the industry, I think the types of services that we provide and who provides them is the next wave of change across the industry. Yeah, the, the reimagination
1: of banking is a hugely talked about topic, you know, particularly with things like open banking and PSD2 mm-hmm. and third party providers becoming a much more fundamental part of the financial services ecosystem. How do you see banks evolving their business and what new revenue opportunities do you think are, are there for banks like RBS? Yeah.
0: Big, big question. Everyone's kind of grappling with the same question. I think there are two big trends that we see within the business of banking. We talk a lot internally about the trends of disaggregation and disintermediation are the two fancy words that perhaps consultants will put against that. I think disaggregation is no more complex than recognising that as a bank, we no longer own the end to end value chain, the value chain is being mm-hmm. broken mm-hmm. into pieces. And then the disintermediation piece says that every one of those pieces, every one of those elements of service provision can be done by a non-bank service provider. So you kind of pick up the papers and it's hard to avoid sort of language that talks about the unbundling of the business of banking. It's kind of being broken into pieces, the metaphor or the analogy that I use. I kind of talk a lot about Lego bricks and and, and talk about how the business of banking is being broken into individual Lego bricks. And I think if you stretch that analogy, I think our future success lies on us combining our Lego bricks with the Lego bricks of others to do new and unique and insightful things that are that are valued and trusted by our customers. And that's, that's easy to say on the one hand, but it's actually really hard to do on the other. It requires us from the get-go to be technically able to combine mm-hmm. our Lego bricks with others. And, and that's that's hard to do. And we, we might want to talk about that. I think lots of the work that regulators are enforcing through open banking at some level ensures that the Lego bricks are are standard and can be plugged together and that we're technically able to do that through things like our API environment. But no, it requires us to be technically able to collaborate and to partner with others and then more profoundly, I think it requires us to be culturally willing um, mm-hmm. to collaborate as well. And that's that's perhaps the biggest change for large banks that have been around for a while, such as ourselves, because the things that have made banks successful to date over the last one, two, three hundred years aren't the things that are going to make them successful moving forward. Success of banks moving forward is, it's a much more open, it's a much more collaborative, it's a much more partnerial model. And that's that's radically different and requires radical cultural change within organizations. Absolutely. I think you talked about
1: the Lego pieces and the right infrastructure to do that. One of the things we're working on is, as an API banking accelerator, Mm. it's, front of mind for us in terms of building the next generation of infrastructure upon which to build those services yeah. as the model changes but most importantly you spoke about being culturally willing yeah Yeah you know, that's that's something that everyone battles with banks and financial institutions come from a very traditional background how do you guys do it at rbs how do uh, you foster yeah. innovation
0: i was hoping you weren't going to ask me that so so the so firstly there are there are no easy answers there's no sort of recipe book there's no sort of here's the here's the 10-point plan and off you go. Because if if it was as easy as that, I think the world would be littered with examples of big, large, incumbent organisations across any industry that had magically sort of reinvented themselves. And I think if you locked any of us into a corner and tried to come up with that list, that list doesn't exist. So firstly, we shouldn't convince ourselves that that the journey that we're all on is easy or straightforward. Mm-hmm. That having been said, I think we are going about it in a really nice way within the bank. And there are some conscious steps that we are taking, have taken actually, that helps foster innovation and increases the likelihood of success. So over the last four or five years, actually, we have invested in what we call our innovation assets. So we have enhanced our scouting and research capability around the world. I've had a team on the ground in places like Silicon Valley now for, for over five years, that team alone, well connected in with the with the San Francisco, with the Silicon Valley ecosystem, it sees that team alone sees over a thousand companies a year. It's well connected in with all of the, the venture capital community and the sources of funding on the West Coast. It's well connected in with academia on the West Coast, whether that be the design school at Stanford mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. or the risk team at Berkeley and elsewhere. So, And that model is replicated, albeit with subtle differences, across sort of the world's most innovative ecosystem, so whether that be Israel or Dublin or London or Edinburgh. So firstly, we've invested in our scouting and research capability Secondly we've invested in some physical locations where we partner with and we collaborate with the people that we meet along the way it's what we call our open experience our open experience environment is both where we physically work with others and it's a description of the way that we work with them so and we have uh, we have those centers up and running now in London and in Edinburgh mm-hmm. we've consciously invested in our design and engineering capability and and we've put in place some technical environments that let us fast track the development of some of those ideas but I think alongside that, some of the things that perhaps more importantly we have gotten right is that we've invested the time and effort in our governance processes. And this sounds really, really dry and very dull, but I think is really important. So we have within the bank now, we have something called an innovation forum. It's attended by the five most senior people in the bank. It meets for half a day every month. It's attended by our CEO, the heads of our retail bank, the head of our corporate bank, the head of our investment bank our cao it's facilitated by myself and that's a half a day out every month hosted by one of our partners where we talk about our innovation portfolio so the inventory of things that we're doing the innovative opportunities that we are progressing That forum is supported with an innovation fund. So it has direct funding available to financially back the Mm -hmm. things that it cares about. And that innovation forum and and the innovation fund is also supported by an external technology advisory board, which Mm -hmm. helps us sort of think through and prioritize the things that we are doing. I guess what that combination gives us, but what the governance process gives us in particular, is the ability to fast track some of these conversations and some of these opportunities that we see around the world. So when we meet one of the world's great companies on a wet Wednesday in Auckland, in New Zealand, then within three weeks we can get funding for, you're never more than three, three and a half weeks, four weeks away from putting an idea in front of that forum, getting it funded and going and doing something about it. So we've got some real examples, as I say, where you kind of meet some of these companies, you recognise that they can solve some of your customer problems and within four weeks get funding for these things and go off and do it. And I think that's starting to make a a real difference in our organisation. Does that forum act as a kind of a a learning environment as well for
1: executives? Because a lot of some of the most prominent banks around the world don't have technology representation or deep technology Mm. representation at the top levels. Do you guys bring people in to present to the C-suite and explain to them how certain technologies are enabling certain things?
0: Um, We do, not necessarily in that forum. I mean, one of the things, part of my job actually, is, is to do kind of what you've described. So, I mean, my job at its most colloquial has got two elements to it. My job is about sort of making sure that our senior stakeholders, whether that be the board or the mm. executive committee, understand some of the disruptive technologies that you're alluding to. Sam so we literally track we we track what we believe the world's top twelve, top thirteen disruptive technologies that we believe are making a difference to financial services. And one of the things that we've done now for the last three or four years actually is that every quarter, we have to update the board on one of those technologies and the technologies in the round. So we have a technology dashboard where we literally measure quantitatively and qualitatively the progression of some of these technologies and the impacts that they're having. But then every quarter we literally cycle through some of those disruptive technologies and every every time we have to answer a similar set of questions the board say what is the technology why should i care what impact is it having cross industry what impact is it having in financial services what are we doing about it should we do more are the six questions that we have to we have to answer and what that provokes is a really interesting conversation about everything from augmented reality to quantum computing to virtual reality to distributed ledger technology Mm -hmm. and 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 what you learn quite quickly, having gone through that process every quarter for the last three, four years, is they're not really technology conversations. My job isn't to describe to the board what quantum computing means in great detail, but it is my job to make sure that the board understand that quantum computing, in that instance, offers the potential for a step-changing processing power Mm -hmm. that could disrupt industries that are time-sensitive and data-rich, and in that instance could provoke will have a deep and profound impact on financial services and provoke a board-level conversation about what it is that we might be doing in that space. So um, so part of my job is to provoke that sense of urgency, that sense of understanding, kind of make sure that our senior management understand how the world is changing, understand how our customers are becoming increasingly demanding, Mm -hmm. enabled by that technology. And if I do the first part of my job right... The board should turn around, or stakeholders should turn around and say, "Oh my God, I get it. What are we doing about it?" Should be the logical response to the first set of, or the first part of my role, and then the second part of my role, which is the interesting bit, is to make sure that I can answer the first question that they come up with. So, when they say, "Oh my God, what are we doing about it?" I should say, "It's funny that you ask that. Yeah. Let me tell you what we're doing about it." And I guess that's the difference between. Being a consultant and uh, sitting on the other side of the table and and having the responsibility to answer the second question as well as the the first. That's awesome. Thank you.
1: We've spoken and alluded to regulation a little bit. One of the interesting things that I think the regulators and and certainly government will have to think about, and I've had the good fortune of working on lots of the UK government's fintech agenda initiatives, is talent. As technology becomes more and more ubiquitous across all sorts of industries, we're going to have to focus on keeping talent in financial services. It's the jewel in our GDP crown. No, How do you think we, we can do that as an industry in the UK?
0: It's hard. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard is the answer. I don't, have a, I don't have a silver bullet to that one either, Sam. I think the, uh, I mean, more generally, I actually think our regulators are doing a really, a really good job, actually. I think mm. they are. I think they are at the forefront of regulators around the world who understand the importance of innovation, who recognise that this isn't about increasing competition for the sake of competition, it's about increasing competition for the benefit of the customer. They recognise that their job is not to preside over a a free-for-all, but they do recognise that they have a role to play to help prepare firms who want to enter that system. I think some of the things that our regulators have done over the last couple of years have been industry-leading, whether that be the the work that they did around the innovation hub where sort of uh, new participants have direct access to staff at the FCA in our example who uh, can give them sort of fast frank feedback on their concepts or their mm-hmm. plans and mm-hmm. choices i think is a model that's increasingly replicated around the world i think the work that the regulators have done around the regulatory sandbox where firms can pilot ideas others will tell me i think it's probably the largest of its kind in the world that others are seeking to replicate so i think First, I think our regulators are doing a really good job and recognise that the world is changing and recognise that regulators have an important role to play in yeah. incentivising and motivating and providing an environment that puts the UK, puts London at the, sort of at the heart of that agenda. So I think that's good. I think there's a little bit more work to do from a regulatory perspective around the coordination across geographic boundaries moving forward. I'd like to see a little bit more alignment around some of the regulators, I'm a little bit skeptical as to whether that's <laughs> becoming more likely or less likely as we, yeah. as Brexit takes place. But as a recipient of regulation, if you will, it would be nice if some of that were harmonized, both in terms of intent and the timeline of execution is almost as important as the intent. So, whilst everything is heading in the right direction in the long term, if regulators kind of implement things on a different timeline, then it's a bit of a cliche, but you end up digging up the road multiple times to respond to different pieces of regulation, which proves hard. But as you say, in all of that, Sam, I think what makes London special, what makes the UK special, if I'm being really selfish, is around, well, I mean, there are many factors, but one of the most important is around talent and access to talent, access to the labour market, access to skilled resources, and at some level, the movement of, or the free movement of talent to the places that need it mm. most. And it would be a real shame if that were restricted somehow through, through geographic yeah. borders. So I recognise the problem statement, how regulators can do that, how they can incentivize or enable, yeah, the the free movement of talented, scarce resources to the areas that need it most, I think is something that uh if we can somehow help influence and direct, then I think mm. that'll be good for us. It'll be good for us all. Yeah,
1: I, I agree wholeheartedly. If we think about some of the, and perhaps we can move to the emerging technologies, I know that our listeners particularly like to talk about some of the exciting new trends. And you alluded to the fact that you update the board quarterly Mm -hmm. on on some of those. What are you particularly excited about integrating with RBS? What are some of those areas that really Um, get you going?
0: Many, many, many. Um, What's exciting me at the moment? I think there are a number of technologies that we have talked about for a little while, whose time is now coming. I might be a little bit of a voice in the wilderness here. I think we've talked about things like distributed ledger technology. For a long while, what I'm starting to see is the first examples of real use cases that are being stood up enabled by distributed ledger technology. And again, some of those are also incentivized by regulators and and various others. So I I think the next 12 months could be a good time for blockchain and distributed ledger technology and applications within financial services. It's perhaps a bit esoteric to us. We are working on our first quantum computing use case that and um, I probably can't say an awful lot at the moment other than I mean what what is public knowledge is that we are the part owners of arguably the world's foremost quantum computing software company a company called one qubit and we are working with one qubit on the first application of a quantum solving some of our risk problems actually through the application of quantum technology which um, It's very early days, but the fact that we're even considering that and are actively working on a proof of concept is almost newsworthy in and of itself. So uh, I think that's a technology that's increasingly exciting to us. And I think one of the things that we have seen, actually, having talked about 12, 13 discrete technologies, I think what we're starting to see is the convergence of technologies that we have previously talked about independently. And it's when the convergence of some of these technologies come together where you see the reimagination or the reimagining of how customers interact with us as a bank so you see the convergence of it's where it's where data and augmented reality and virtual reality and voice technologies for example come together and it's in the coming together of those that suddenly the way in which customers interact with technology their expectations of technology their expectations of how banking services are provided changes fundamentally and and as i say i'm kind of as i'm as excited about the convergence of some of these technologies as i am the discrete technologies themselves and and as those technologies converge i i think what you see is this movement from we talk this is going to sound pretentious but we talk a little bit about how we see the migration from an app based environment to a to an increasingly a voice based environment and if you stretch the direction of travel I think we move from a voice to a zero UI world moving forward and I think that's the I think that's the progression of how banking services or how services are delivered moving forward and we are increasingly experimenting with technologies and use cases and proof of concepts that let us get ahead of that yeah. curve. speaking about
1: some of the uh, technology activity mm. and innovation activity you've done you recently acquired free agent the first transaction publicly that we've seen for, for, yeah. for a while, yeah, yeah. what sort of a M&A activity and with what drivers can you see RBS engaging in in the coming years? Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, that was one of our first acquisitions for a while. I, I kind of go back to the Lego brick analogy that we talked about earlier, Sam. I think if, if you start with a logic that says that we recognize that our success moving forward requires us to work with, to partner with, to collaborate with. Others to combine our Lego bricks with with theirs. We start with this notion of just just wanting to work with and, and partner with some of the world's great companies to do some some different things, some new things, some unique things that are a benefit to our customers. I mean, in effect, there's a there's a full stop there. That is what we're all trying to do as we go through that journey. If it makes sense for us to invest or acquire, then that's something that that we'll do. I, I wouldn't want people to have the impression though that we're on a big. M&A spree I'd like mm. them to to think of us as on a big collaboration and, and and partnership spree and if it's mutually beneficial for those that we meet with along the way either to make an investment into them or or acquire them if that's something that works for for everyone then then we'll consider it but it's not where we and it's not where we start from and it's not how we are we are measured it's this whole notion of I think moving forward we need to be a better connected bank, we need to be better connected to our customers through a compelling digital interface. The role that we play as a bank moving forward will have many components, will be a traditional end-to-end bank, but will also be an aggregator of other services. We potentially use the distribution capability of of others. And, and when you look at that in the round, who you need to partner with to bring that sort of platform-type mm-hmm. organisation to life is... Is large and varied and and yeah there are many ways that we that we will work with our partners along the way not just not just through an acquisition lens great and there's two follow-on pieces I'd like to touch on
1: quickly one of which is Soul Machines, a yeah. very cool company that does, I guess, AI and voice and yeah. is a move away from mobile-based services. And then the second is talking about working with other banks around the world. Now, our platform at Motiv- yeah. Labs, that yeah, you're yeah. involved in brings non-competitive yeah. banks from all around the world to combine R&D and build Resources and budget to do cool stuff together, playing on collaboration, but collaboration with people that may have been seen as competitors previously. How do you see RBS evolving that thinking as well?
0: Okay, so let's do the Soul Machine one first. I think that builds on lots of what we were saying earlier. So against the backdrop of this sort of big macro trend in terms of the way the banking services are provided to the move away from sort of a physical branch environment to web, to mobile, to Mm -hmm. voice, to... Zero UI, one of the companies that we met along the way. I would kind of mentioned a wet Wednesday in Auckland earlier. Mm. Um, we literally met Soul Machines on a wet Wednesday in Auckland. They are a New Zealand based company. They've won a couple of Academy Awards actually for their work on Avatar and King Kong. And they've taken lots of the, uh, what, what you and I and others would recognize as, I'll, I'll call it Avatar type technology. They, they'd hate me for saying it. And added in, in effect, a te- technology neural network that sits behind it. And you can take some of this avatar type technology and put it on front of an AI corpus of knowledge in our in our world. That is a uh, it's an IBM Watson platform. Mm-hmm. And what we've just done actually, we've just stood up the world's first prototype where we are using avatar type technology to change the way that banking services are potentially provided to our customers. So we've taken eight what we call customer journeys, sort of eight of our most frequent. Customer challenges or customer questions or queries that would have previously been redirected to a call centre, and we've stood up a prototype where you will literally talk to—we're calling her Cora—but you will talk to uh, to an avatar to uh, to Cora and so one of the eight journeys. Let's say is I don't know you're you're going on holiday and you want your bank card enabled for when you arrive in Spain on Monday morning you'll talk to Cora and Cora will answer your query and will direct you to whatever the appropriate piece in our technology platform that enables you to do that. And as I say, first bank in the world to stand up that kind of technology. I'm still a long way off of sort of introducing it at scale across our environment, but it is a really useful exercise for Mm. us to kind of think and get a glimpse of how these services are going to be provided moving forward. So that's That's very exciting. And it's a great example of that governance that I talked about earlier, actually. Mm. So, I mean, literally from the first conversation that we had with the Soul Machine team to getting funding from that innovation forum that I mentioned, less than four weeks and perhaps most surprisingly – Nothing was ever written down on paper. So there wasn't a business case that was presented. There wasn't a 50-page PowerPoint. The Soul Machine team and the business sponsor came to that forum and much as we're describing here, talked about the ambition, the vision, what they wanted to do quickly, the proof of concept they wanted to stand up. And that innovation forum backed that opportunity on the on the basis of a ten-minute conversation, it's incredible. No, no, and and it's it's radically different. I mean, radically different yeah. to, to to the way that we think and that we operate, and and sort of the way that uh, maybe traditional change projects are conceived and approved. So that's really exciting. And then the motive model. I think the motive model is sort of equally exciting for for almost different reasons. And it kind of goes back to this notion of I, so, so, so as a bank, we know that our future success. We don't have a monopoly on the right answer. We don't have a monopoly on the smart. People, we recognize that our success is about identifying smart companies, smart people, smart organizations that can help curate an environment where we can all do things that we otherwise wouldn't have done by mm. by working together in a much more collaborative way. And that's where, the, that's where the beauty of the Motive model kind of comes in. Access to smart people internally within Motive, access to a much broader ecosystem, access to partner banks around the world who are non-competitive but are struggling with Oftentimes, many of the same challenges, many of the same opportunities, mm-hmm. and it's an opportunity to learn from them, to do some things together, to solve some things together, and it really is a case of one and one when added together it comes up with a a number greater than two. I think that's the I think that's the value of what's being created through motive, and I'm I'm very excited about it. Thank you. Some fun questions. <laughs> fun being the opposite of word.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I always ask this question because I've been very grateful for the mentorship I've had in my my short career so far. Have you had role models and and who have they been and and what have been some of the lessons you've learned from them?
0: So many is the answer and I could rattle off a, a, an inventory of people but you know what one person that stands out and she will have no idea of this but I think one of the most informative career defining training courses actually and I subsequently read her book but the training course that I went on as a very junior consultant was a uh, was called Creative Thinking and it was delivered by a woman called Barbara Minto who wrote The Pyramid Principle which I think was a seminal business book of I can't quite remember when it was published it must have been in the and so I read it I guess in the in the 90s and I think she was the first female partner at McKinsey if I remember rightly but um one of the books and one of the courses that literally changed the course of I changed the course of my life. It's only changed the course it's I'll tell you what it did do. It's only changed the way in which I think about so this whole thing is about the logical presentation of an argument or reasoning. And in effect, it's sort of how to structure information. And it's a thought process and this sort of notion of a pyramid and provoking mm-hmm. sort of a question and answer response from the reader or from the listener, and putting the reader or the listening or the listener in control of how much information they need to need to digest. And it's that sort of difference between the way that we think and oftentimes the way that many communicate is kind of chronological. It's the it's the I kind of I thought about it then I, I went from A to B to C to D and I concluded D and you kinda of get to page yeah, yeah. fifty of the report and you kinda of find out the answer. And lots of what Barbara Minto did was go kind of almost reverse that thought process and get you to structure everything that you do in a in a pyramid, basically both yes, yeah, sort of logically and sort of intellectually, and uh, I took a set of learnings from that, that that you can apply to. You can apply to a two-minute phone call. You can apply to an email. You can apply awesome. to a PowerPoint presentation. Is, is that a role model? I don't know. I certainly learned more on a course so. there than than, yeah. than any other. So I'm going to go with Barbara. Awesome. And uh, I'm sure it must still be in production. It must have been reissued multiple times since then. My well, copy's very dog-eared. It's still on my, still on my bookshelf somewhere, though. So.
1: Yeah, I know what I'm going to be doing this evening. I'm going to buy a copy of that. <laughs> I'll come back to you with the lessons I've learned. Yeah, yeah. Great. And then another favourite of mine. Yeah. What's the best investment you've never made? Uh, the best investment i never made. What do you wish? And then you may well have restrictions uh, No, in I don't
0: role. know. I don't know. So I've got lots of restrictions in the role. So I meet lots of companies along the way that if I was investing my own money or somebody else's, I'd be, I'd be far better off than, <laughs> than I am now. Um, best investment I never made. I tell you, I, so I can remember having talked about San Francisco and Silicon Valley and having, mm-hmm. a, I guess, having been there for the last five years, maybe half a dozen times a year. I remember... The first time I stepped foot in San Francisco and talking to some of the Bitcoin companies, what the price of Bitcoin then was certainly less than $500 per Bitcoin. It's almost too painful to look at what it's worth now. It's probably what today it might be worth, I don't know, $8,000. I think at the turn of the year, it's probably worth three times. That it was certainly yeah, over sort of $20,000 yeah, yeah. or more, probably 25000 So I know about an investment, well, certainly an investment I didn't make, uh, mm. <laughs> but if I had i'd be a little bit wealthier i'd be a little bit wealthier now best investment we did make i mean so so as a company we've made a few investments along the way i think the quantum the quantum investment i mean will make us money but it's not the reason why it gets me most excited i kind of like the fact that we're starting to do some things there sort of investing in companies where the world economic forum has them as one of the 50 most innovative companies in the world and just to be part of that community and to learn from them and potentially get them or work with them to shape something that might help frame the future of financial services is is pretty cool i think very much so and
1: despite building owning running the entire innovation function across uh, yeah, the yeah. group, i'm sure you have fun when you get that rare downtime you're also sporting an extremely good tan
0: <laughs> uh, and you mentioned earlier you've been in the isle of Wight. what was going on in the isle of Wight? i oh, said so, so, uh, no, so the tan I, I shouldn't say this i had a birthday that ended in a zero recently so um I got to celebrate that last weekend with a, uh, I spent four days flat on my backside in a field with some music going on in the background and the sun shining. So uh, I think I'm lucky to have made it to your podcast, but it was a nice <laughs> way to, uh, it was a nice way to spend a birthday. So
1: Awesome. That uh, sounds like a great way to do it. And if that's what you did on, on your 40th, I wonder what you'll do on your 50th. Oh,
0: you sweet thing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, but that's all that's all and Kevin a huge thank you I know how busy you are it's been fun it's uh, it's really appreciated there's a ton of insight in there for us and our listeners to to listen to and and analyse so thank you
0: thank you very much
1: thank you for your time and insights and thank you very much for tuning in I'm Sam see you next time